Hello, and welcome to another episode of Make It Mesh. I'm your host, T.C. Curry, and in this series, we talk to industry leaders about the complexity of using a service mesh. Whether you use Istio or another mesh, this podcast will give you the information you need to know to make a service mesh work for you. Joining us for our People You Know Are Already Using Service Mesh in Production series is Carl Stoney, Delivery Engineering and Platform Lead at AutoTrader UK. He's responsible for their private to public cloud migration, including moving 500 services from private cloud VMs to containers on Kubernetes with an Istio service mesh for over 300 services so far. They've been using Istio in production for almost 18 months now. Welcome, Carl. Hello, thanks for having me. So let's start with what brought you to Istio. Like, what were the pain points that you were needing to solve? It's quite an interesting conversation, this one, actually, because um, as you mentioned in your introduction there, we were running a, a private cloud on-premise. Uh, and one of the things we hadn't uh, implemented was mutual TLS between those services. So we had quite a complicated architecture that was all hand-rolled ourselves. And we were trying to add uh, like a sidecar model to the on-premise private cloud. And it was becoming a right time sink. <laughs> We're probably talking months and months of engineering effort. So we decided to look out in the marketplace and see what other people were doing. And as most of the people listening to this will know, one of the most common problems solved by service meshes today is the transparent mutual TLS sidecar approach. So that was what got us originally looking at Istio. So the sidecar approach, is that Envoy as well or Istio only? Well, the, the sidecar approach is a standard model. So Istio uses Envoy. Obviously, Linkerd has got its own. That sort of model of transparently intercepting the connections between our services without us needing to implement mutual TLS into the services ourselves was the way that we wanted to go. And that's because we have... We have a variety of services, some of which are relatively new or being greenfielded, and then others which are seven, eight, nine years old. So we, we wanted to be able to implement these capabilities, such as mutual TLS, without needing to modify all of these applications. That's why the sidecar model really fit for us. That makes a lot of sense. How did you decide to choose Istio, and what were the other options you looked at? So we, we actually decided to use Istio because, well, we were looking at all the different options in the marketplace. And like I said a second ago, sidecars were the easiest way for us to implement this mutual TLS pattern. In order to do the sidecars, the most common ways of doing that were using containers on Kubernetes. So on-premise, we weren't using Kubernetes at all. So we kind of had this, this problem where if we wanted to be able to hit the ground running quickly with containers and sidecars, we wanted to use Kubernetes, but we didn't want to build and manage that on-premise because it's complicated. So we started looking at managed Kubernetes offerings. Uh, the one that we were drawn towards, because it was generally the most mature in the marketplace at the time, was GKE, so Google's offering of Kubernetes. And we already had an existing relationship with Google and I knew some of the engineers as well. So through chatting through them, it became apparent that they had an alpha for Istio. So there was an opportunity for us to get engaged really early with Istio as a product directly with the people who were working on it and developing it um, at the same time as moving our workloads to GKE. So it was kind of like we're killing multiple birds with one stone and keeping it all with one set of people, if that made sense. Just made the migration a little bit easier for us. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's really interesting. So you're part of the very, very, very beginning of Alpha, Alpha test of Istio. So 
were you able to contribute a lot of problems that you were running into? Could you take back to the team and say, hey, can you solve this for me? Yeah, that was exactly it, right? So we accepted that we were getting engaged with Istio very, very, very early, like early alpha. I think it was like 0.2. So we knew full well that things were not going to go smoothly. <laughs> but but we were in a really fortunate position of we we were just starting our journey to move to Kubernetes as well. So we could we could cherry pick applications, some of which were non-critical, and just gradually move these things across one application at a time. So we started with really non-business critical applications, you know, like internal admin tools that it didn't really matter if they went down for twenty minutes or whatever, which we and we could fix it. The advantages though of getting of, of working with the SEO guys really early doors is we built up an incredible relationship with that team, and as a result, when we did encounter counter problems our ability to engage and talk to those people the relationships were already there you know we were much more confident we would get a a timely response than we would do if we jumped onto an already much more established product and that that works both ways okay so it's like for, for our auto trader we've got people who are responding to our problems quicker but then from istio side of the fence they've got people taking their product into real world production scenarios before other people so it just works really great That sounds like a really good position to be in. And you were talking about how complicated this situation was and how many engineering hours were being sunk into trying to roll your own. So it kind of makes sense that you knew that this was going to be time-consuming, but it would probably be less time-consuming than what you'd already been doing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we, okay. when, when we started looking at mutual TLS on our on-premise infrastructure, we'd, we'd already sunk probably three or four months into it. So we actually just decided, we just spun up a GKE cluster on Google and just installed this DO on it. And within like a day, we had mutual TLS working. So that was, that was how it kind of, that was like how I presented it to the organization. I was like, I was like, Hey guys, come on. I think, I think we're probably going in the wrong direction here. Maybe it's time to have a little pivot and explore some other options out there. And, and fundamentally, right, Auto Trader, we're a car marketplace effectively. You know, we're, we're not in the business of building mutual TLS and having awesome sidecars. Like, we want to build products for our customers. So, anything that gets in the way of doing that really is, is, is friction that I, I don't need my engineers spending time on. Right. So, in this process, what were the pain points that you were discovering along the way? So the pain points that I was discovering along the way, as in the pain points that I was trying to solve over the mutual TLS or the pain points of using Istio? Well, you said it, you know, it's very complicated stuff. So talk a little bit about the complication and, you know, what are the secrets sort of of Istio that you discovered during the install? So there wasn't necessarily any sort of secrets during the install, I would say. What became very apparent was we were trying to solve mutual TLS as a problem, an individual problem with Istio. And then out of the box, you got all this amazing observability. So what we were finding as just part of early adopters of Istio, as we were testing the mutual TLS solution and we were getting these other things for free, such as the observability, we were actually kind of blown away by all the additional added value that there was. So the conversation (laughs) became... Uh, no longer about us just solving one business problem, which was mutual TLS. It was about, uh, wow, we can solve mutual TLS and also get all these other things on that journey. So it was solving more pain points for us on-premise. That's why I kind of asked the question because on, another problem that we had on our on-prem private cloud is we didn't have particularly great visibility between our services. So our time to resolution when we're debugging problems was is, was definitely slower than it is now. And another problem, this is where that sidecar model comes into play, is that if on-premise, we had to instrument our code in order to get a lot of the stuff that Istio gives us so to get like metrics around the performance of our applications. So as a result, we tend to 
stick to the same languages to solving problems because we'd already had frameworks to give us the metrics that we could embed into those applications. But mm -hmm. what, we, what we realized really, really quickly is early on in this Istio journey was that we were able to use more languages and we could solve problems in more diverse ways than we used to be able to because the, the metrics happened outside of the domain of the application. You know, is that sidecar model again? Right. So, so suddenly we can go and build applications in Golang or Ruby or whatever we want to choose rather than our typical Java and get exactly the same level of quality of our cross-functional requirements in a production environment. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been, as I've been talking to people, it's one of the things they mention about what's really great with Istio is that, you know, you have all of these services and the whole benefits of microservices is that you can write a microservice in any language you want. And then the problem with that is you have microservices with a bunch of different languages that you have to maintain all these libraries and all of this stuff. And so Istio takes you above that and allows all of that just to happen naturally and allows you to do what you need to do on another plane without getting involved in each of the libraries and each of the different languages and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's exactly that. So it goes back to that point I mentioned earlier on. It's like my goal is to enable the engineers at Autotrader to get products in front of our customers as really as quickly as they can. So anything that slows down that process that's common across all of the applications is what I would consider to be a platform capability. So I, I try and provide it in such a way that they don't need to worry about it. Um, and mm. Istio just ticks so many of those boxes for us. And then our application developers can just focus on, you know, building products for our customers. <laughs> What a great idea. Yeah, it's crazy, uh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So say so you were talking, you've got mutual TLS now. You've got observability that you did not have before. That was a pleasant surprise. Are there other things that you can do now that you couldn't do before? So this is a really interesting question. <laughs> there are, but we don't actually use a lot of them. And I'm going to go into this a little bit more. Okay. I think personally, I think one of the one of the mistakes that people make when they start looking at Istio is it's this massive toolkit. There's absolutely tons of things you can do with it, and you you can sit there and try and solve every problem in the world, and then you'll go and try and install all of those features as well. We took a slightly different approach. We decided to just pick a couple of things that delivered like 20% of Istio's features, delivering 80% of the value to our organization. For us, it was like the mutual TLS and the observability, and really just knuckled down on those things and do those things extremely well. So we're still in that position now. So we've been using Istio now for over 18 months. And still, we like the main value add for us is the, is the mutual TLS and, and the observability. And we just keep enhancing those capabilities because they're the things delivering the most value to our organization. And when I say enhancing those capabilities, I mean, we build tooling and capabilities on top of the metrics that Istio gives us. So for example, we have Slack integration. When, when an application's got a higher than normal error rate over the past... 30 minutes, for example, oh, sorry, in the last five minutes compared to the previous 30 minutes, we have a Slack bot that uh, writes that message to Slack, informs the developers, it goes to their particular channel so they can pick up that alert, they can silence it from Slack or acknowledge it from Slack, but then it also then goes to Jaeger and attempts to find traces associated to those errors and it writes those into the comments in Slack as well so that suddenly an application developer is getting told that there's a problem with their application. So this gives the base for us there, it looks like it's an enabler for all of these features that we're building on top of it now. So that's really fascinating. I mean, I've been starting to talk to people in this series. This is a Make It Mesh is a new series. And so I'm learning as I go as well. Okay. And, you know, it's like, oh, you should install Istio. It's really useful. And then you start hearing about these success stories. It's like, wow, 
So things you were trying to do for three or four months, all of a sudden you could do like essentially instantaneously. So one of my questions is what do you wish you knew before you started? And this is going to have to be tempered a little bit because you started in such an early phase. Yeah. I mean, I still think it's valid. It is. I mean, I think the way that... The way that I would probably answer this question is, what do I want people starting now to know effectively? Because like I say, I I started really, really early on. So my journey has been quite different to a lot of people. it's, it's, It's kind of an extension of what I was just saying a second ago. And that is, don't try and use everything. So just start using Istio, but with a minimal feature set. So like I say, you'll get probably 80% of the value from 20% of the features. So just pick a couple of capabilities that are key to you and your organization and just really like just focus on those, right? And just turn the rest of the features off. Forget about all the shiny things that Istio does. Just really <laughs> nail the day-to-day things. And and the reason that that you're doing that is not just to get good with those features, but you know, Istio and Kubernetes, etc. They're complicated bits of kit. So yeah don't overcommit to your to the learning curve that you're going to have to make with these tools picking a couple of features and getting your your engineers and your organization really familiar with those features will just enable you to move faster when you want to turn on other features in the future we made a mistake of trying to just play with too many things early doors and then stopped it quite quickly yeah i mean that's a really important point that the learning curve i mean it is very shiny and it's new and people are talking about it and it sounds like so fabulous and it's like let's jump in And it's not like getting a piece of software or a service, like an API service that you can just install and it runs. There's a lot of setup that needs to happen and people are doing work to abstract that and so on and so forth. But there's still a whole lot of thought that needs to go into installing Istio. So I I agree with that. I think that's where just picking a subset of features that will again really help those people because you'll you'll be installing a subset of things and you'll be having to think about how to monitor and uh, you know do your observability around a subset of things because even though you you install and run istio for example you probably still want to monitor the fact that it is rotating certificates you know right. you, you want to make sure that pilot's not using too much too much or too little memory or is it cpu strained cpu strained etc so you don't you can't just install it out of the box and then pretend it's not there. And, you know, there is a certain level of operational <laughs> operational functionality that you need to think about. And if, if you just focus on a couple of features, what you'll do, though, is build your confidence in Istio as a product. And you'll build all of that supporting tooling and your organization will get used to using it as a, as a, a toolkit. And then you can start to add on some of the more shiny things in the future because it is complicated, right? <laughs> so you said that um, your developers are now, they're able to get information about services that are down or applications that are down. How much access to Istio have you extended to them? Or is that something that you know the engineering team sort of holds and they don't really need the access to Istio except through the observability piece? So why burden them with it? Or is that accurate? No, it's it's a really good question again. So as I mentioned earlier on, we were not just adopting Istio. We were adopting containers and we were adopting Kubernetes and we were adopting private cloud all at the same time. It was pretty ambitious. (laughs) So so just in terms of size, my team, like the infrastructure and operations teams that that, that I sit in, there's only about 15 of us really working on this. And there's about 250 developers writing software at AutoTrader. So in terms of numbers, there isn't a huge amount of us. So I had to, to think about in an ideal world, 
the scalable way to do this is to teach the whole organization about Istio, about Docker and about Kubernetes and just get all these developers incredibly fluid in all of these 6 million YAML files that they need to write. <laughs> <laughs> but but being realistic, right, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So right. we took an approach of, uh, it's kind of like another 80-20 rule. So we, we've built tooling and a delivery platform on top of all, on top of Istio, on top of Kubernetes, on top of Cert Manager, on top of Nginx. You know, we piece all those things together to give us a, like a, a holistic delivery platform for people to build applications on. And then we ab- abstract all of that complexity by them just providing us with a really simple configuration file. So it's a really simple set of, you know, what's your application called? What port does it list it on? How much resources does it need? How many instances should it have? You know, really obvious stuff. And then we take that and then the platform itself turns it into all of those 6 million YAML files and, you know, manages the deployment onto the cluster and does all the CI and CD. And that fits 80% of the applications, probably more, maybe 90% of the applications that Autotrader build and deploy day to day. So that's a lot. But what we haven't done is made it mandatory. And I think this is something different to what we did on-premise. On-premise, like you had to fit that model for the private cloud. Uh Otherwise, you weren't going to you weren't, you weren't going to go on the private cloud, right? Yeah, you had to fit it. And what that meant was, though, that, that 10% of applications that were really like, difficult never moved across because it wasn't worth the platform team to uh, enable the capabilities that they needed in the abstraction. So those teams just were left on the really, really old platform. So this time around, we've said that, look, you can diverge if you want. Like You don't have to use our, our platform. You don't have to use the pre-templated files. You can write your own manifests and your own Helm charts if you want to. But there is a certain contract with us, and that is, you know, we use this version of Istio and we use this version of Kubernetes, and you're responsible for, for, for managing those charts and that release lifecycle, should you choose to do that. So we've given people the option, as you probably would expect, the vast majority of people just use the, the abstraction because it's easier for them because they're just focused on building apps, right? But there are probably 10 or 15 applications out of those 300 that are there that were sufficiently different from the abstraction of the platform that they needed to write their own stuff and into, and they needed to learn about Istio and Kubernetes. So does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Okay. It does. It makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering how much planning you did in advance of actually launching it or if this is stuff that you sort of figured out going on. I mean, before you launched it or as you were launching it, it's like, wait a minute, you know, these people really don't need to get involved in this level of detail. And I interviewed Joe Beta once several years ago, and he was talking about the wall of YAML. <laughs> yeah. And I just love that image. It's, um, it's a good analogy, to be fair, because yeah. it is. It is. Like, if, you, if you actually look at our, like our, our templated YAML once it's been generated, it's, it's monstrous. Yeah. But so the question was, how did that just sort of evolve? And, or was that like a real conscious decision going in the beginning it was a conscious decision in the beginning just because we accepted the fact that there's too much for an organization of our size to learn if we went down the route of trying to teach everybody about this stuff before we'd start delivering value so we decided to have that abstraction in place just to allow us to move faster to allow us to adopt these tools and these platforms quicker but that other 10 percent of apps that i mentioned before and the, the fact that people can diverge is what we're finding now is the organization matures and they get more familiar with kubernetes and istio that knowledge is starting to spread you know so more teams are thinking about docker more teams are thinking about slightly more advanced istio use cases and stuff and, and they're completely enabled and they can do that but it was definitely a conscious decision early on to make it simple but not close the door to difficult as they become more comfortable with the technology yes. yeah exactly what is the one thing that engineers installing istio should know <laughs> 
So the one piece of advice that I would give to anybody going down the, the service mesh route now, maybe ESD or anything else, is that it won't solve your problems around from poorly written applications or misbehaving applications. What it'll do is it'll it'll bring them to the surface. So it's kind of ignorance is bliss. All the extra visibility and all of the tooling that you're going to get out of Istio means you'll just see more issues. And you'll actually spend quite a bit of time debugging errors such as like 503 status codes that people will blame Istio for because Istio is everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's just very easy to blame the network, isn't it? Or blame the storage. And, but in this case, people start blaming Istio. But a lot of the time, it's actually just surfacing problems you've already got. So just be aware of that that uh, organizational curve. That's really useful advice that I haven't heard before. And I think it's very typical of like, oh, we installed this new software, so it's the new software's fault. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But actually, it's bringing up issues that have been there. So it's not just the learning curve, but it's the fixing the problem curve is going to be also very high at the beginning. Yes, it will definitely be. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight. I've been talking with Carl Stoney, who is Delivery Engineering Lead at AutoTrader UK. Gosh, thanks so much for your time. (laughs) No problem at all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make It Mesh podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe. For more tips, industry news, and to find out about new episodes, sign up for the Make It Mesh captain's log at newsletter.tetrate.io. Make It Mesh is sponsored by Tetrate, providing the service mesh to accelerate your modernization and to make service mesh simple, secure, and universal. The Make It Mesh theme music is by purpleplanet.com.